Praise God. I We started this series not this past August, but the August before that, the first week of last August, and we have now come to the last uh, portion of the Book of Romans, and I thank God for it. Greatest letter ever written. Um, I've, I've learned so much going through this book. I, I trust that it's been edifying to you. Um, so turn with me to Romans chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. Um, Paul is going to close out the book of Romans with greetings and a praise. So I'll read that um, to you right now. I encourage you to read with me if you have your Bibles. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, Amen. and according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So how did we get from chapter 1, verse 14, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. Two, praise and honor of the Lord. Well, that's what we're talking about today, looking at this closing doxology. Uh, this letter um, is closing out now with greetings from those who are with Paul in Corinth, where he's writing this letter. And then he gives a final praise to the Lord. And um, there's a lot packed in here, and I feel like this, I think the themes of the letter are woven into this doxology. First, look with me, though, in, at the names that Paul includes here. These are greetings from eight men who are with Paul in Corinth. Um, Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, and Gaius, Erastus, and Cordus. We don't know a lot about all the men here, but we do know a lot about some of them. We know that Timothy was uh, a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 16.1, we see that he is a disciple of Jesus and that he was a son of a Jewish woman, a, also a son of a, a Greek man, so he was a Jewish and Greek. Paul met him at Lystra in Romans 16, took him, discipled him, and sent him out as a missionary. And First and second Timothy are written to this Timothy. Um, and Paul is encouraging Timothy on rebuking false doctrine, teaching sound doctrine, and establishing the church at Ephesus in those. 
uh, letters. So we see from Timothy, I think that um, that the gospel must be handed down to the next generation. That's how God has planned for it to flourish. Men teaching other men to who are going to teach other men and handing down the gospel that way. Another name that's interesting is Tertius. Tertius was a scribe, and, Paul, and it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you. So it shows you that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter by dictation, which I love, because Romans is essentially a spirit-empowered sermon. And I could see him almost by candlelight, looking out of his window with Tertius writing down. I could see him saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And walking around back and forth and speaking as the Spirit is leading him. And I could almost see points in Romans where he kind of closes for the night. And he says, all right, Tertius, we'll, we'll pick up tomorrow. And right here in, um, in the last verse of chapter 15, he says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then he continues in chapter, to chapter 16. I think maybe they closed for the night there. And then he picked up the next morning, perhaps. I don't know. But it's fun to think about. So that's what Tertius is. He was a scribe of the Apostle Paul called an amanuensis, and this was very common in the ancient time. Um, Gaius is another name. He was a Corinthian who was baptized by the Apostle Paul. We see, them, we see that in 1 Corinthians. Remember when Apostle Paul says, I'm glad I baptized none of you except for Gaius. I may have baptized him. That's the Gaius the Apostle Paul is talking about. Um, it says that he's a host to the church, a host to me and to the whole church. So here's a man who uses his home to house missionaries. Maybe he had a home church in his own house. Uh, Erastus is another name in verse 29 or 23. It says, this is very interesting, Erastus the city treasurer greets you. Interestingly enough, in Corinth, there was found, where this letter was written, there was found in a, a, an inscription, a large Latin inscription in, lime, in the limestone pavement in Corinth that reads, Erastus, in return for his idolship, laid the pavement, pavement at his own expense. An idol was a man elected to oversee financial aspects of an ancient city. And it says that this man, Erastus, laid this pavement at his own expense. Perhaps this is the very Erastus the Apostle Paul is talking about. And I find that amazing. Maybe he was a wealthy man, a successful man who supported Paul's ministry financially. So what, what do you get from these names? Um, a similar point to what we saw when we discussed the first part of 16. We see that God uses different men and women in different kinds of ways with different gifts and giftings to do one thing, and that's advance the gospel. They did not all teach and preach the word. Paul and Timothy did that. Paul and Timothy did preach and teach the word, but Tertius wrote down the word for the Apostle Paul. Gaius supported missionaries and used his house for the gospel. Erastus 
perhaps finance the gospel. And so God uses different people in different ways to do different things for the advance of the gospel. And let no one think that the, what they do is little or small in the eyes of the Lord. You have been given a certain and definite ministry from the Lord. And you can serve him with the strength that God supplies. And it, it, is, it is not a small thing. Serving the Lord in any capacity with what he has given you is a way that you can glorify God. Amen? So, some are called to serve in preaching ways, teaching ways. Some are, served, uh, are called to serve in more quiet ways. And God glorifies both ways. Now let's move to verse 25. Verse 25 is the doxology. The word doxology means, is from two words, two Greek words, doxa, which means glory, and lagos, which means word. And so this is a word of glory to the Lord, praise to the Lord. It's, and there's some good doxologies in the Bible. One of the my favorites, which I, I speak to you after service every Sunday, is um, now I'm forgetting it. Uh, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and power, in majesty, and dominion, now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. I love that. That's, a doxology is a word of definite, concrete praise because of who God is and what he has done. So this is a praise to God. Pray doxologies when you don't feel like it. Pray, the, pray, these, pray this doxology and ask the Lord for faith in these things, for a sense of these things that are in the doxology to lift, that your heart might be lifted by these things so that you can serve him and glorify him with your life. Now, that, this doxology is going somewhere. It starts with now unto him and it ends with to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's to him be glory. That's the point of life, the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our church. It's for the glory of God, that his name might be great. Heart Cry Missionary Society, who we support, that is their motto, that his name might be great among the nations. I want to see the king lifted up and high. I want him to be exalted. I want his name to be great among the nations. And that's what a doxology is. It's a praise to God. So why does the Apostle Paul praise the Lord? Why does he give glory and honor to the Lord? You might say, some people might say, because he is the creator of the universe. And that's true. Because he is master and lord of you. And that's true. 
But notice what the Apostle Paul praises the Lord for. Now unto him who is able to strengthen you. The Lord is able to strengthen you. Now there are other kings and other rulers in the world that the way they exercise power is by keeping you weak. Think of maybe dictator, the dictator in North Korea. By keeping you weak and ignorant. That's the way most kings have ruled. By keeping their people low. But the Lord is able to strengthen you and to lift you up. To him who is able to strengthen you. God wants you to be strong. And he can establish you and set you firmly in place rather than have a sense of floating through life. Without Christ, man will have a sense that they are floating aimlessly through existence. But the Lord is able to strengthen you and to establish you firmly where you belong. What kind of strength is the Lord does the Lord give you? What can we say about this strength that the Lord supplies to us? First of all, we can say that the strength is not ours. I was just reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12 the other day. And Paul says, I will all the more boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Do you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? It involves embracing your weakness, your inability, your lack. Because when you embrace your lack, you're dependent on God. You're dependent then. You need help. And that's when you can be strengthened by the Lord. But if you go through life in your own power and your own strength, not waiting upon the Lord, but rushing to your own devices or the world's devices, the Lord will not strengthen that. Those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Waiting on the Lord means I'm waiting on the Lord and I'm not going to this thing or that thing or this wise man or psycholog psychologist or this this worldly way of doing things. It's waiting on the Lord. So the strength that God gives is not ours. It's his. Second of all, what does he give you strength to do? He gives you strength to serve, to live life day to day in service of him. Um, I think it's 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, to serve in the strength that God supplies. So, you are called to serve the Lord. And to live your life as a sacrifice for Him. And you can do that, but only by the strength. That God supplies. You are dependent upon him. To do these things. And Paul ministered. From out of the Lord's strength. There, 
one amazing prayer by the Apostle Paul is um, he says uh, that he, oh, to be, he prays for the Colossians to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For, for what? For endurance and patience and joy. For endurance and patience and joy in the Christian life. So this is endurance to resist temptation on a screen. That kind of endurance. This is endurance to do family devotions when you're tired. And to read your children the Bible. To ask and answer questions when you don't feel like it. That's the kind of strength. Day-to-day things. Don't think about serving the Lord as just triumphant, going and dying and getting slaughtered. That's a, that is needed, and that is a beautiful thing. But also, don't neglect the day-to-day aspects of the Christian life. He gives you strength to forgive somebody who does not deserve it. And to follow Christ and turn the other cheek when wronged. He gives you strength to rebuke a brother when a brother needs to be rebuked, even though it's a difficult conversation. He gives you strength to revive a struggling marriage by centering on Christ. God requires you to live faithfully, and he will give you the strength to do it. Amen. The psalmist says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. And you will be saved from the power of sin through the strength that the Lord supplies. So be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. So we know that God is, so am I, are you good? Do you believe that, that God is able to strengthen you? Wait on the Lord, and he will renew your strength. All right. Um, how? How is God going to strengthen you? How can you get the strength that God supplies? How can you get it? We already talked about it, but how? You need, you're weak. How do you get it? How does, how is the Lord set up things in his wisdom that you can get strength on a consistent basis? How does that work? Well, the answer is the next clause. Now to him, who is able to strengthen you, how? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's how he's able to strengthen you. You do not, as a Christian, please understand, you don't get saved by the gospel and then move on to other things. As a Christian, you are empowered for life by the gospel. Understand this. Because the God, and what is the gospel? The preaching of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And it has three parts to it. 
There's a past part, there's a present part, and there's a future part. And so he is able to strengthen you because when you fall into sin and you will fall into sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And you can go to him for forgiveness and repentance. And you can be assured then of the words that Paul says a few chapters earlier, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are inside of him through faith, if you are located in Christ through faith, there is no condemnation there that can reach you. And you need that message daily. What about, but you feel weak. You feel like you can't, you, you know there's no condemnation, but you can't get over the things you're struggling with. You can't get past it. The preaching of Christ tells you that you can. And I believe this with all my heart. Romans 6 What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. The Apostle Paul is talking about union with Christ. And your union with Christ means the old part of you has died. And you have been risen with Christ to walk in the newness of life. And you can do that through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So you have the power. What you need to do with the power is to use it. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I struggle with all his might that he powerfully works within me. And to the degree that you use it is the degree to which God will supply it to you. That's the preaching of Christ. And that is able to strengthen you. Lastly, you're free from the penalty of sin. You're free from the power of sin. And one day you will be free from the presence of sin. So Paul says in Colossians 3, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. And glory. And then the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea when Christ comes back, and every tear will be wiped away because evil will be vanquished. So, the good news is that the mighty, awesome, majestic God acted through Christ to eviscerate the powers that would keep you spiritually dull. 
that would keep you spiritually penalized and would keep you dead and destitute. And he has given you Christ who has united himself to you. And what does that mean if Christ has united himself to you? It's like marriage because marriage is a covenant. And a covenant means that I'm with you as long as we both shall live. And if Christ says that to you, that means forever. Christ has united himself to you as long as we both shall live. And he has given you his resurrection life. That's the preaching of Christ that is able to strengthen you. And it unfolds into millions of different applications with those three being central. No condemnation. Yes, you are enabled by being united to Christ. And one day, you will be released from the presence of sin. All right. Now, why does Paul say my God? That, that, by the way, is what Paul says means by my gospel. Hey, Elise, could you be a little bit more quiet with that? Thank you. Um, that is what Paul means by my gospel. It's not a gospel about law. It's not a gospel about, um, about yeah, Jesus is kind of part of things, but really th- this is the thing you need to do. No, my gospel... Paul says, centers on Christ. When he, was, when he was fighting with the Judaizers in Galatians, they were saying, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the old covenant law. And the Apostle Paul says, no, it is through the preaching of Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come in the new covenant. So that's what we do on Sundays. On Sundays, we are strengthened through the preaching of Christ, specifically. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this does not come haphazardly. Rather, the Apostle Paul says, moving on in verse 25, according, it is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings. And has been made known to all the nations. This was God's plan. Interestingly, a mystery is something that was hidden and is now revealed. It's a secret that's been disclosed. And what is odd about this passage is Paul says, It is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. So when the prophets are writing... Genesis and the Torah, the Psalms, the writings, those, the mystery was still kept secret. But it's the same writings that now disclose this plan that's centered on Christ. Do you find that odd? It was kept secret for long ages, but now it's been disclosed through the prophetic writings. How? How is it that the plan of God was hidden by the same writings that now reveal them. What changed? 
how does this same Old Testament writings that hid God's plan now reveal it? Answer, Jesus Christ, the lens of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 14, speaking about the Jews who have the Old Covenant. They have, they, we talked about this in Bible study, they have the law, the prophets, and the writings. Yet, Paul says, a veil lies over their eyes. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. So, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And the Old Testament is full of promises. But they find their fulfillment and come to fruition in the preaching of Christ. Yes, Genesis 3.15, somebody is going to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus Christ did that on the cross. God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing through his offspring, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That came to fruition through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, which Jeff read earlier. A servant of the Lord who represents Israel, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Someone who would inaugurate a new covenant and bring the outpouring of the Spirit to God's people, inaugurated by Jesus Christ. So, we don't, we don't approach the Old Testament like, a Jew, like an ancient Jew would, or a current Jewish person would, actually. We approach the Old Testament as a Christian. And a Christian doesn't just read the Old Testament and then close his Bible. I mean, maybe they do. But theologically, what we do is we read the Old Testament and we understand that all those promises, that whole history, found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It, it came to fulfillment in him. That's a point that I will consistently drive home. Now, moving on, we see that the revealing of Jesus Christ is for the express purpose of bringing about the obedience of faith. Paul says it's according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. According to the command of the eternal God means it is his fixed plan and determination to do something. To do what? Bring about the obedience of faith. And this is like the fifth time Paul's mentioned that in Romans. And why didn't he just say faith? To bring about faith. Because obedience, following, and faith are the, so connected that you can't, you can't have one without the other. I've said before, if you believe... This building is on fire. We're all going to run out together. But if I say the building's on fire and you say, yeah, I believe that, you're not. And if you just sit here, one would question whether you actually do believe such things. That's why the obedience of faith is so important for Paul. It's not just about assenting to certain truths, because even the demons believe that Jesus died an atoning death and rose again. It is about embracing and living according to those truths. You follow me? 
That's why Jesus at the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, anyone who hears these, mind, these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on a rock. The winds came and the floods came, beat against that house, and it did not fall. So, the obedience of faith. Let's go to Romans 8 again, because I want to talk about the two verses I didn't talk about earlier. So I, I talked about that we're free from the power of sin. Listen to how Paul puts it, Romans 8, verse 3. What could a law do for you? What did the Old Testament law do for you? It told you that you were a sinner, but it could not release you from the penalty of sin, and it could not give you the power to overcome that sin. It told you you were under condemnation of God. But God has now done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of God might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, Christ did what, did what the law could not do. He paid the penalty for our sin, rose again, sent the Spirit, who is now in you, enabling you to will and to work for God's good pleasure. When we say the strength that God supplies, we're talking about the Holy Spirit in you. Which... The, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit is mediating Christ's presence to you. We can get into that when we talk about union in, uh, with Christ and systematic theology, but the Holy Spirit and Christ's ministry are the same. That's why Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and give it to you. He's going to take what's mine and give it to you. So, the Holy Spirit mediates the presence and power of Christ to you. That's how. That's how you can be obedient. That's how you can live a God-glorifying life, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then wrapping up, the Apostle Paul says that the purpose of it all, the purpose of it all is the glory of God. To bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the purpose of all things, the glory of God forevermore. That His name might be great. That people would look at us and glorify God, not continue to look at us. We are nothing but the hand that points to God. The purpose of existence is the increase of praise to the Lord. That we might point to Him as the King of the universe. I have a vision in my head is, is when we're all in heaven together. And there, there's a stage and Christ comes out 
with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there's millions of people bowing down and worshiping. And, every, and we're way, way in the back. But he points to you. And he says, I chose you. And I love you. And I've called you. And he says that to everyone. He knows your name. Even though he's the king. There is this great, this great um, series I was watching about one of the kings of, of England. And, and there's a great scene where the king of England is riding across a farm with his cohort. And there are two lonesome farmers on this farm. And they look up and they see the king of England riding across. And they shout, it's the king of England. Do you believe this? And they go running after him. That's what I feel like. It's the, the most important, the biggest, the greatest, the most majestic being has not just passed us, but called us to serve him. So I want to glorify his name. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How is God glorified? Forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Through the preaching of Jesus Christ, through the honoring of Jesus Christ, through the following of Jesus Christ, and through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we glorify the Father by lifting up the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is how the Apostle Paul closes out Romans, the, the book of Romans, but it's very much like the way he started the book of Romans. Look with me in chapter 1. All the purposes of God, the plans of God, the promises of God came to a point in Jesus. That, in effect, is the gospel. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Do you see that? All the themes are there. He starts where he wants to finish. And we were taken through the sin of man, through the propitiation of the Son, through the faith of Abraham, through peace with God, to union with Christ, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to serving God as a living sacrifice, all the way to praise. Let the amen sound from his people again. I am so glad to have preached through this book. May, may we cherish it for the rest of our lives, continue to read it and learn from it. Um, as we move on in our, in our preaching schedule. But I, I glorify the Lord for the truths in Romans and the salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer.
Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, then, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and dominion before all time and forevermore. Amen and amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. 